Hello everyone, welcome to HY Dyslexia Podcast, All Things Dyslexia. So my name is Elizabeth Tepchi and I'm the founder and CEO of HY Dyslexia. It's a beautiful evening. I mean, I know we're speaking on a podcast, but I'm sitting right by my window and it's absolutely beautiful. Um, and today's podcast is very, very interesting. It's one of the areas that I've always had an interest in. And having our amazing guest, who I'm going to introduce in a minute, to talk to us a little bit about hidden disabilities in people with feral units. Um, but before I bring Jackie Moran onto um, the podcast to introduce her, I want to thank our funder, Black Thrive Lambeth, who are supporting our podcast um, series from now till the end of the year. Okay, so Jackie Moran is a career management consultant. And in this episode, we are joined um, with Jackie, and she's going to speak to us about um, the topic on PRU, People Referral Units and Hidden Disabilities. Jackie has over 20 years experience in career guidance and employability in a wide variety of public sector organisations, including registered charities and third sectors. She has developed a particular um, interest in working with disadvantaged groups, including NETS, which is not in education, employment or training, young people, clients with learning differences, women returners and BAME clients. She completed her MA in career guidance from Canterbury Christ Church University. Her other qualifications include an MSc in social psychology from London School of Economics and a QGC, which is, I'm getting to explain what that is, um, a level seven in career guidance practice. Jackie's registered career development professional member of the Career Development Institution, the British Psychological Society, and the Institute of Employability Professionals. She um, and she founded Life Walk, Work rather. See my dyslexia sitting there. Life Work, her career management consultant business in 2014. Now, believe it or not, Jackie's got dyslexia. So amongst all that she's doing, she's also dyslexic. She's going to speak to us about when she got diagnosis, why her life was turned around, and why she's so passionate to support young people who are in people with very units with hidden disabilities. Jackie, welcome to HY Dyslexia Podcast. Ah, thank you. Yes, fine, fine. Very excited to be uh, joining your podcast today. And, um, well, what can I say? Yes, I... I'm dyslexic. I'm proud of it. Thank you to my quirky way of thinking. Uh, but I have to say, I only got diagnosed um, when I was in my 50s, that's uh, about 12 years ago. And, uh, and it came about because of having some challenges in a particular job, which um, I found quite difficult, let's put it that way. And I sought a diagnosis, and a little bit to my surprise, um, yes, I am dyslexic. Came out, yes, that I was dyslexic. Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. How had you managed, Jackie, all those years without the diagnosis, without the support in a workplace or in education, and obviously acquiring all these qualifications without having been diagnosed? How did you manage? It, I read your biography, and I was really blown away. Well, I guess, well, first thing, I have an extremely creative mind and quite hyper-focused, I would say, without knowing. And I got the terminology now, but I didn't know it then. So I am very hardworking, and I've always been since a child. 
even though I usually was the last one to hand in things, the one that stayed afterwards. But I was, I was, um, I did a secondary school not in this country, but in Puerto Rico, and in the Spanish language, which is a phonetical language. That means that the way it's written, it's more or less pronounce so i'm also bilingual my mother tongue is spanish and i just come from the generation where the curriculum there at that point was very it was kind of like you know we were the baby hippies let's put it and it was very creative so i managed to go, get good grades by doing actually very creative projects <laughs> and um um, and in that also university, I managed to do extremely creative. I'm, I'm a, a researcher, as you can see, I'm a bit of a nerd there. And so anything that was very, uh, had to, I'm good at statistics. And uh, so that helped me through, even though I did have challenges, but I just made, made sure to always take classes that were creative. I just naturally gravitated. So without knowing, I focus on my strengths. I knew I wasn't going to be a doctor. Didn't want that interested in math. Um, and um, I've always got other people to check my spelling, <laughs> realizing that yes, that is why the reason. <laughs> so yeah, I played on my strengths without realizing. I also color coded. Being such a visual person, I naturally color coded. I, 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 the strat I imposed my own strategies. And I also, when I remember, because you also, I come from a generation where you also learn by rote, you know, by repeating. And so I used to learn things by singing a song, which is rhythmic. Now I know that that is, can be a way of teaching things, especially if it's, it's like your timetables and things like that. So I found my own strategies without even realizing it. But yes. Very quirky, very um, possibly misunderstood. And I was very, very quiet at school because I, I felt, and now I know that has to do with working memory. If it, I never put my hand up because the times I did put my hand up, I would forget what I wanted to say, which is, as we know, it has to do with working memory and the stress and anxiety. So, um, I just wrote. Oh, no, I drew. I drew a lot. I drew a lot. All the time drawing, 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 drawing to express myself. Right. Okay. Now, tell me, Jackie, a typical day working in people's referral units. A lot of people say, what is Prue? First of all, explain what Prue is. What is Prue? We know it's people's referral unit, but what, what do you do there, for example? Hey, well, let's, let's put into context. Uh, pupil referral unit is a type of school specifically provided uh, for the education of, of children who can't attend, for many reasons, mainstream education. And, um, and they get specialized support. They might have been excluded either temporarily or permanently from school. And it usually involves young people who have had some behavioral problems or learning difficulties, or find that being in a big group, mainstream classroom with 30 kids, that are completely lost or might have um, some type of uh, meltdown, as we would call it. Now, my typical day when I go into a pupil referral unit, um, I'm, I'm actually visualizing it, is uh, I introduce myself to the group, I usually get tested <laughs> by the young people, which is very typical of any young person anyway. But 
Um, I do explain to them from the beginning that I have not come to give them exams. I'm not a social worker. I'm not evaluating the academic performance. That is not my role. My role is to see what they really like, what do they really enjoy, and get to know a bit more about them in terms of thinking of future possibilities. So I, I make sure I establish a relationship that I am not there to give exams, to start from there, because most young people that improve do not have, ha have not had a good relationship with, um, with, the, with the schools in general. So we're in a class of 30, 32 children, and you've got one or two that are not engaging in class uh, or engaging in the lessons that teachers teaching. So they become distracted, they're not learning. They're probably, in my days, we call it they'll bank off. I, I used to, by the way, a lot of the time I was never there. Now, I'm, I'm just sort of picturing how that will be. And then these, let's say one or two students have been taken out. What would, what would take... And what I'm trying to say is, what measures does it take for someone to end up improved? What, how, does, how does the whole process work? Basically? Okay, the whole, I don't know the whole, because there's a whole legal process and you tend to go through different stages. You probably been, you probably will be, there'll probably be elements of detention, then exclusion, then temporary exclusions until you get to a permanent exclusion. Sometimes it can be that, um, like there's some of the young people, I actually work in um, Kent, Medway, uh, and some of the young people have had, for different reasons, um, which I'm not privy to, because that is um, confidential to them, have had to leave the area which they were living to because they are at risk. Could be gang related, it could be sexual exploitation, there are many things, and they've been put in a safe place in, in Kent, let's put it that way, under foster care. So, so there's so many, there are many reasons. Some have um, what you call an EHCP plan, and it, it has not, the mainstream school is not uh, adequate. They need much more one-to-one, -one, including counseling. I should say in Peru, the maximum children you will have in a classroom is 10. And they tend to have much more shorter, lots of breaks and lots of um, uh, what I call kinesthetic, lots of doing things, activities, not just sitting there in a classroom <laughs> writing or doing. So it's very interactive. Um, they uh, do a lot of outdoor activities. Uh, the two schools that I go to have a dog, which helps calm the child or the young person. Uh, what you call a therapeutic dog, and um, and in my case, uh, I should say that I usually do group works. This is very small groups, um, which are nine to ten young people, and then do one to ones. That means I see them on my own to explore what, how they are, what they're doing, what are their ideas. What are they thinking about the future? It doesn't matter if they don't have any thoughts. doesn't matter. There's no wrong or right answer. We play games. If I find that the interaction, because there's an issue of trust. I think there's a big issue of trusting adults. Many of these young people, adults have failed them. Adults have betrayed them. Adults have been nasty to them. So I have to engage in trust first and then... When I get that young person to trust me, 
um, then we talk about their dreams, their dreams. Right. So what's the age group for where people are referred to the People's Referral Unit? Yeah, okay. The, the young people I see are from 12 to 16 years old. They're sec it's secondary schools. There are some special schools for younger children, but um, the ones, uh, my area of specialization is um, secondary school, not primary school. So I don't work with primary school um, young people. Um, so you say your time of working, you um, have come across a young person uh, with specific learning difficulty, i.e. dyslexia, ADHD, um, autism, ASD, Tourette's, all the neurodiversity conditions. Have you come across many young people with these conditions? And if you have, do you think that perhaps if they would have got intervention earlier in their life, would have prevented them from going to prison? Is it quite a few questions, but it's interesting you say that because I strongly believe that if there was screening from a young age, from primary school, we could avoid all this. Well, I would say trauma for some of these kids it has been traumatic school because they've only got negative criticism, put downs, bully. And, and just like we do screening for eye test for in, in primary, I know my daughters that screen for, I think, in uh, um, was it reception for hearing for primary and one was detected. She did have a bit of a hearing problem. Um, there should be one, there should be a screening to see. I, I guess I'm convinced you would save so much well, money, but not only that, the self-esteem of those young people, you know, that you, we wouldn't have to do these these much later interventions. And and also, and also I should add, I do also think teachers need to do more training on and and difference and learning difference. Not not I know the the uh, the teachers do what you call differentiation, but this is much deeper than just doing you know, a little bit kinesthetic or a little bit um, you know, we do visual, much deeper. Uh, in, in finding ways to engage that young child to to learn and thrive and feel positive. And sorry, I'm going to go on about the, the primary school. And also, I am, I am more than frustrated that we focus so much on grades, whether it's, and if you don't get this grade, therefore, you may be a failure rather than focusing you know, some of these young people have exceptional talents, which are not recognized maybe in the mainstream curriculum. Uh, and, um, and it's only through exploring maybe when I ask them, what do you do in your hobby or in your spare time or things like that? I said, my God, that is incredible. And so I think our, our curriculum, even though maybe in primary school is quite creative, moving to, to secondary school, there's too much focus on Ofsted, on outstanding or not and children get weeded out to make sure those lead tables are good and i appalled about the whole gcse that basically determines whether you're going to do a levels or not i think it's much too young so yes you can see <laughs> i have a different vision of how school should be sorry i, I do i do agree with you and the way i was taught god knows how many years 30 something years ago i don't think it's changed much it's probably um, and here we are with, with many young people ending up 
in, in Peru. Now, would you say that there's a high percentage of Black or um, ethnic minorities in Peru? Well, um, I don't, unfortunately, I don't have the statistics, uh, but I would say yes, I can say that the Peru that I um, work at, which I, I need to qualify, is in Kent, where uh, ethnicity varies a bit different than a place like in a city, London or Birmingham. Well, I can say there's a combination, yes, of um, Black, but also uh, young people from Roma background and uh, mixed race and um, and traveler background and, and, and what you call, you know, traditionally white working class. Um, so there is, I would say, a combination between class and uh, race. Yeah, I'm just thinking. Yeah, most most of the young people do do come from deprived families. Whether yeah, I mean, you know, we've talked about being and you know young people being improved and how difficult it can be for them and you know all the difficult stuff. But there has to be a success story. Have you um, mentored a young person who you probably met and was at the lowest of the lowest? And now they're thriving and left the crew and maybe got into work or maybe doing something positive. Is that, do you have any stories of anything like that? Uh, yes, I do have a young person, um, uh, uh, a young female girl, and she's actually at university. So she surpassed any initial expectation. She was uh, proved she had um, a traumatic, let's put it, life background. But she was determined. She said to me, I'm determined to change my fate. And she needed help in terms of, uh, she did A-levels actually. And she needed extra help. Help was found. And she now is uh, at university. And her, what she wants to be is a museum curator. That's really amazing. That's such a, that's such a positive. That's why I said, Jackie, your work is so important. And it's so amazing the work you do. So for you, job satisfaction would be right. That's it. She's turned her life around. She's gone to you. She's going to see it through to the end. And she will become, you know, a very, you know, um, important person in society, having gone through all the trauma she had and so forth. Yeah. Do you meet many young people with all these conditions, hidden conditions, mental health, dyslexia, and so forth? Yes, yes, I do. Many of them have either diagnosed or maybe undiagnosed, but I can see a little bit in terms of their learning style or their writing, that there is some learning, I, would call, I always call it learning difference. Um, but yes, a big percentage do have um, uh, prob problems in terms of they're a bit behind in uh, of uh, compared with maybe mainstream, but this is where there's a time where they can catch up with right interventions. But, but I also, my role, I see it, is actually implanting hope and, and motivation and aspiration. I would say aspiration is key. I mean, I can say I'm another young person who never thought, never dreamed that college could be possible. He thought, miss, but I come from a Peru. Yes, and you can go to college. There's nothing to stop you to go to college. And we went through and yes, he was, he just, his mindset, he comes from a family which college, they didn't see that as necessarily something very positive, but he was always determined to um, go to college and he wanted to do something non-traditional male, which was uh, food technology. 
while his family thought he should be an electrician or do something else. So that was a big turning point, but he is the one who decided that. And with a lot of work experience, which I say is another key thing at the Proust, they do a lot of work experience, so they do get a good taster of the world of work. And they, that usually tends to be very positive. Wow. Yeah, that is such a success story. And it's amazing to hear that, you know, young people who end up in Prue because um, they didn't do very well in education, in the mainstream, or whatever that might have been going on in their life, have turned their life around. That's a very positive um, way of, um, you know, describing that. And, and, and I'm really pleased to hear that the work you're doing is, is having a huge impact on people's lives. Now, my last question, just before we round up, what are your top two tips for having a successful career and reaching your full potential as a dyslexic? Well, I would say, number one, embrace your difference. Embrace um, the areas that you have your strength. as number one. You know, we always talk about spiky, um, uh, a spiky profile. Well, look at those strengths. And number two is self-belief. It's that motivation that you don't, doesn't matter what other people say, believe in yourself and, and focus. Usually people with, and who are neurodiverse are quite hyper-focused when they're really engaged. We use that. That is a strength. So those would be my two tips. I could go on, but... <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you so much for explaining that um, for, for our listeners and Jackie. And thank you for your time. And also, I'd like to thank the Black Pride, Lambeth, for supporting the podcast. I'd like to say a massive thank you to Yola um, from Salt and Pepper Productions, who put all the podcasts together for us. Now, next week, we're back with a different topic at the same time, same place. Thank you very much for listening. See you soon. Bye bye for now. The Aspire to Inspire Dyslexia podcast, All Things Dyslexia is funded by Lambeth Black Thrive. It's presented by Elizabeth Tashi and is produced and distributed by Salt and Pepper Productions.